Why don't we have super cheap e-bike for people to use? We should be encouraging the things that we want, low carbon, safe transportation through policy. We could scale e-bikes up so much faster than we could scale up cars. E-bikes is where I would start. Like that's the lowest hanging fruit is to get lots and lots of e-bikes on the road next year. Cycling, pedestrians, low speed EVs, cargo bikes would really transform the heart of a community. So we just have to get the news out that bicycle facilities not only improve safety and livability, but they're also good business. So my knowledge base is from like growing up, it, um, growing up around the whole business of analyzing data and making rec policy recommendations. Like that's what I, I guess that's my main training and expertise in translating, um, translating the latest scientific data. I mean, I got my PhD doing research and I, and I have done research, but mostly what I do is I, summer, I look at the state of the data and the research and I make policy recommendations for decision makers. And that, that translates very well in my, my work as a volunteer with the League of Women Voters, because we're a volunteer-based or organization. And people from all walks of life with different types of expertise volunteer with the League of Women Voters to um, give unbiased, uh, um, nonpartisan recommendations. And so that brings us to the, the, the talk you gave. Yes. Yes, so that I am on the board for the League of Women Voters for LA County. So every, for every level of government, we try to um, we try to have a local league chapter that is the counterpart. So if so, if you're in the city of Los Angeles, there is a local chapter that rep, um, that people who live in Los Angeles can join and get involved in city affairs to be kind of like the watchdogs for democracy. Then, um, then, so I'm in the League of Women Voters for the beach cities. Um, that would be like El Segundo, Manhattan, Hermosa, Redondo Beach, and uh, Hawthorne are the main cities. Uh, and oh, it also includes Inglewood. And then there's, so you have your city league and then you have your county league. And so I'm on the board for both the beach cities league and for the county league. And then we also have a California counterpart and where they work more on the legislation for Sacramento. And, and I am on, also on the committee for the, the California Water Committee and, and the California Climate Change Task Force. I'm also the, um, I'm also the committee chair for the Lee California Energy Subcommittee. Wow. And, you know, we're looking for volunteers for Bike Talk if you have any extra time. <laughs> I guess not. Just thought, couldn't hurt. <laughs> that is really funny. <laughs> what? But I, I, I couldn't say no to the league because they, the, I... This is a very perilous time for democracy, and there are, and it seems like we're in an attention economy, and the people with the loudest voices, not necessarily the people with the um, deepest expertise, 
or most um, or the most rational voices, we're not getting as much airplay as people who say much more sensational things. And I, I worry that it's not balanced if you have people on different sides screaming things that aren't based in reality. And we are a very evidence-based um, organization and we try to speak quietly, but from a deep base of knowledge. And because of my expertise, I mean, I have academic degrees in math, chemistry, and physics, and experience um, with different branches of government. Um, I felt like I just had to, this is something I have to do because democracy and the whole planet is on, our state's on fire and it's going to get worse. We have to turn this around soon. Yeah, that's what all the projections are showing and we keep blowing past them for climate change. Right, and we're blowing past them for no good reason. Some of it is from ignorance and some of it is like people think that it's no big deal, but it is a very big deal. We're on fire and electric cars are not gonna save us. Getting out of cars is the only way that's gonna save us when half, when, what is it, 44% of the emissions in our county, and then if you add the emissions from the refinery and road building and, and cement for, for concrete garages, half of, pretty much half of our emissions comes from the transportation sector. So if we have to cut our, if we have to cut our emissions by two thirds, we have to get out of cars. You know, electric cars won't save us because they still produce like two thirds of the um, negative effects. Uh, they, more than two thirds of the negative effects. They produce about two thirds of the emissions of cars in terms of air pollution and carbon um, footprint. But they also- um, You mean from manufacturing them? Or do they um, actually in their exhaust, they have CO2? I mean, they don't have exhaust, right? Yes and no. They <laughs> car tailpipe emissions are now um, eclipsed by other car emissions. The biggest, remember, the biggest microplastic, the biggest microplastic in coastal waters is tire wear and brake dust. Brake dust contains copper. Until recently, we banned copper, but uh, we replaced copper with some other metal. But so brake dust has. Um, heavy metals, your platinum palladium coming out of your um, catalytic converter for your internal combustion engines, ICE cars. Um, you have zinc, car tires are one to 2% zinc. That's how you polymerize the rubber. So the stuff that sloughs off your car, like when you can tell there's been a room in it because humans, we shed skin cells and we, we shed hair. Well, you, it, when you have an environment with cars in it, they're shedding also they're shedding heavy metals, microplastics, um, toxic chemicals, byproducts of of um, combustion. Cars are just toxic machines, and so more than half so more than half the air pollution that comes off of cars is um, not associated with tailpipe. 
So electric cars aren't going to save us. And then you have the infrastructure. They take up so much space on the streets. And then they, you also have to build garages for them. And because they're taking up so much room on the streets and in our city land, urban landscape, then people say, oh, we can't have a bike lane here because where are the cars going to park? Mm-hmm. And so that's why electric cars are almost as bad as um, ICE cars. What is ICE? Internal combustion engine. Oh, yeah. So electric cars are not the answer. What form of transportation is? Well, th- this is why... I was trying to... That was supposed to be a soft, really obvious softball question. Right. This is why we're in such a horrible mess with COVID and with um, healthcare in our country. It's this idea of American exceptionalism (laughs) that despite all the evidence of other advanced economies around the world, that we can go around and do something completely contrary to what has worked in other countries. (laughs) And what has worked in other countries is like looking at the problem and having people use the least amount of vehicle necessary for them to get around because we want to move people right we don't want to move 5,000 pound metal cages spewing toxics we want to move people not cars and so uh so one uh if you look at my blog post there's a um that a transportation um a transportation industry group put out a nice graphic showing how many you could put, um, let me look up the exact numbers. You could move in the same amount of space in one lane of traffic, you can move thousands of people, right? And then you can move almost as many, uh, thousands of people as pedestrians. But mm-hmm. pedestrians only walk two or three miles per hour at a comfortable pace. And um, if so that means that everything has to be in a very compact um, radius for people to access the full range of services that they need within a, like throughout human history we assume that about 30 minutes is 30 40 minutes is roughly um, an acceptable amount of time for a commute so that means that everyone if people can walk two miles per hour they would need everything in a compact one mile radius but if you put people on a bicycle and they can go 10 miles per hour, then all of a sudden you have like a half mile radius. And if you put people in on an e-bike like me and we can go 20 miles per hour, then um, we can travel a 10 mile radius. And so what services, what jobs, what people we can access in that radius gives us like our access to society, our access to the economy. And then it, the promise of cars was that we would be able to live out in the suburbs in on a big plot and then drive into the city. But we weren't taking into account that when we drive into the city, we're just spewing toxins all along the way and we're harming the people along the way. And people haven't been paying the full, full price for that. And because those were communities that were marginalized, uh, just look at the um, racial demographic, economic, the 
racial and economic data for people who live along a freeway. You know that we threw them under the bus because of racism. <laughs> I mean, Black Lives Matter is a very important, um, it's very important to the league and it's very important for my work in natural resources because I look at who is having the, who is suffering the disproportionate harm and the cars are really poisoning um, poor brown and black communities and also Asian communities because um, Asians came to this country later and um, had to live wherever they could and that's often in areas with higher air pollution. So we, we definitely have a race problem with the way that we built our transportation network. And what mm -hmm. I'm trying to do is make us have an accounting, like you don't have like a body that's shot in, in the street, but you do have a body that um, has difficulty breathing, might, may have a life expectancy that's decades shorter than if they had lived with healthier air. Um, one that won't live to see her grandchildren grow up. This is what kind of drives me to be so busy and work so hard for a job that pays no money. Wow, yeah. Well, thanks for, for your work. Your blog is uh, at badmomgoodmom.blogspot.com and it's yeah. we're specifically referring to a talk you gave at the uh, League of Women Voters? Yes, for the League of Women Voters, LA County. So we were talking to volunteers around LA County who work in their local city leagues. So I was giving them like a big picture overview of the problems that we face in our county and um, to give them resources that they can use so when they go to their city council meetings and make arguments in favor of um, one, mitigating our exposure to climate change, and two, speaking for the people who can't come to city council meetings. And you get to bikes, too, in the, in the blog. Um, we get to bikes because bicycles are the most efficient way to get around uh, in terms of calories expended per dis for distance, speaking as a physicist. Anne is an avid um, bicyclist who has like three and a half bikes in the garage. If you count the tandem as half mine. But <laughs> I've been, right. like, if you think back, I grew up in the 70s and there were like five kids on my block and we would ride our bikes everywhere through our town in what is now Silicon Valley. And we can't do, kids nowadays have a hard time riding bicycles around because the streets are narrower they used to, than they used to be. I mean, the, the streets are physically the same size as they used to be, but people didn't used to park on the street. So kids would ride their bicycles on the right side of the street where cars are parked right now. So now if you wanted to ride a bike, you'd be driving, you'd be riding your bike in the middle of the street and cars would have a difficult time passing you. And cars backing out of driveways wouldn't be able to see the, that there are kids in the street. And we're seeing an epidemic of kids being backed up over and also kids being um, harmed by drivers in 
that the drivers didn't see because kids are shorter and the cars are taller and they have taller and taller and blockier hoods that destroy their sight lines. Hey, I see three participants. Did Costa just join us? Hi, everyone. <laughs> Hi, Costa. We, we got started a little bit. Uh, we we're just talking about how um, that there are a lot of electric car proponents talk about how we have cars last a long time. They're on the streets for like 15 years now. And I'm making a point that people, the cars move around people and it, people hopefully live a long time. If you're a college educated Asian American woman, your life expectancy is like over 90. So hopefully I'll be mobile for more than 90 years, which will be six different car lifetimes, right? So training people to get around without a car is as important as um, electrification of our car fleet. It, in fact, it's even more important because in urban areas like Los Angeles, we have a we have a spatial geometry problem. We just can't simply store so many cars and we can't move so many cars in a limited amount of road space that we have. Well, Costa, I saw your tweet and you had uh, some good things to say about e-bikes. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. It's, it's a pleasure to be here with both of you. Um, Dr. Peng is, is exactly right in that transportation safety, transportation decarbonization, um, transportation health, community health, all of these lead back to ways that we can have mobility access at, at very, very, with very, very low carbon. And bikes and e-bikes could be at the center of that. Um, I was pretty surprised, Nick, that I was looking around for e-bike incentives and I, I, I work in transportation decarbonization. I know a lot about electric vehicle incentives, which there are many. And I'm looking around the country and there's just not that many e-bike incentives in the United States. And I was thinking, it's like, you know, why, why not? Like, why don't we have super cheap e-bike for people to use? Now, some of those might be a bike share program. Some of them might be a library program, but you know, transportation is a big cost of people's budget. Uh, and we should be encouraging the things that we want, low carbon, safe transportation through, through policy. Um, and, you know, an e-bike is expensive. And I was hoping that we can get an e-bike for an out-of-pocket cost for about $300. Why $300? I don't know. It sounds like um, it, it, it's about the price of maybe a, a, a used bike, right? It's about the price of of some, uh, you know, some lower quality used bike, and maybe we could induce a whole bunch more people. I'm not talking about the bike heads. Like, there's always going to be people who are going to be tailor custom tailoring, you know, expensive, awesome bike parts, and that's great. But like, we want an entire new group of people to enter the biking world, um, and I think that the, a very cheap, reliable e-bike is one way to do that. Well, uh, Biden is a biker, supposedly bike enthusiast. Maybe if he gets in, he wants to spend money. Well, I look at California and we're supposed to be so progressive. And if I bought an electric car, I would get $7,500 from the federal government. And then I would get $1,000 from the California government. Well, instead, I bought, a, um, I bought an e-bike 
for, to, for my local errands around the beach cities. And I also bought an electric scooter that I could use to get to the Green Line station and that, you know, fold down and keep, carry it on the train with me. And I got zero help from either the feds or the, um, or from California for that. And Wasn't there a bill? Arguably, those, those things are better for the environment than the cars. I thought there was a bill that was trying to have e-bikes included in the in the e-bike in the e-car voucher. It did not pass. Right. Oh. Why wouldn't I that better, pass? I I have I have guesses, but I'm not going to say them on there. Oh, they must be really uh, bad. Does it involve uh, swearing? I have um, received training in decorum and media relations, and I'm not going to say these things on air. All right. I understand. Costa, you were going to say? Well, I just think that the purpose of a subsidy or the purpose of a policy like this is to get more of something that we want. Right? We want mobility and access. We want low carbon transportation. And to me, when you're spending tax money, that's what, that's what a tax credit is. A tax credit is like the government sending somebody a check to buy an electric vehicle, as long as they have enough tax liability. We should be using climate policy to uh, expand electric, electric and non-electric bikes, both through the purchase, as well as just building protected bike lanes. I mean, we need an infrastructure renewal in this country and we should be demanding that uh, protected bike infrastructure be part of that as well as you know, encouraging accessible um, sidewalks uh, for people with disabilities, uh, accessible and walkable streets. I mean, th that's the thing that is not really at the center of mm -hmm. Of, of climate policy right now is, you know, a lot of the technology that we need is, is sitting right in front of us. And we, sure, we're still going to do innovation. We're still going to do, you know, breakthroughs and batteries and, and all kinds of energy storage and all kinds of great stuff that we work on. But like, you know, we know how to make a bike lane, right? And we can do a bike lane pretty fast, right? A couple of weeks, we could put a protected bike lane in and we could get uh, e-bikes widely distributed through the population in much, much fewer time than it's going to take to do cars. Yeah. I mean, how many electric cars did we build last year? Like less than half a million, right? And like just a Tesla, the, is it the Tesla three, the smallest one has like 85 pound, 85 kilograms of batteries. Whereas my e-bike has like half a kilogram of batteries. We could scale e-bikes up so much faster than we could scale up cars. So we do research on this and, you know, the students that I work with have, have examined a lot of these issues. I, I think it's important for your listeners to, to kind of grasp, Nick, is that we have a serious transportation decarbonization problem. Everybody comes to grips with this the internal combustion engine is really at the heart of that, of that challenge. And we are going to need a lot of transportation electrification. Um, and that, that, that's the, that's important to not leave aside. It's like, 
we're going to need so many e-bikes and a lot of electric vehicles all at the same time so that we can get to a place within you know the next 10 to 20 years where our emissions are are much 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 lower and e-bikes is a fast way to do this but we also still need to be doing transportation electrification of both uh, public transit fleets municipal fleets um, government, other, other government fleets and, and yes, and private vehicles where, where, uh, where needed, but the e-bikes is where I would start. Like that's the lowest hanging fruit is to get lots and lots of e-bikes on the road next year could be done. And the thing is they are so much fun. They are a ton of fun and they, they make me feel like I'm going faster than I was in the twenties when I was in grad school and, um, riding 250 miles a week. I think that's been a barrier for a lot of people to uh, to get into just biking for bu- biking, bicycling for uh, for work and for pleasure. Where I live in Pittsburgh, uh, to f- for me to get to work, it's uphill both ways. So I just walk, um, and and but with an e-bike, it would be it would make it a lot easier to get to work without you know, being sweaty or having to take a shower at work. And so anything that we can reduce the barriers, I think that that's really important for folks to remember is that maybe a lot of the listeners uh, of Bike Talk don't see these as barriers, but there are barriers to a wider circle of people to get into cycling. And I think an e-bike breaks those down for, for many. And a lot of um, a lot of the barriers are just the terror of sharing the road with all the SUVs and pickup trucks that, that are going 40, 45 miles per hour on our, on our arterials. So we need to have protected bike lanes. We need to right size vehicles so that people only can, people use only the amount of vehicle that they need. If you're just going to the grocery store, um, can you do it in a small car or an e-bike or, or a cargo bike or an e-tricycle? Do you really need to be in a four or 5,000 pound car to do it? But yeah, I would say the main reason people don't is because they're scared of getting hit by a car. Yeah, and there's no, and, or they're scared to have their bicycle stolen. And I have had bicycles stolen. And why don't we have better facilities for locking up our bikes? That, that's a good question that we should hold our city, we should hold our local governments accountable that they would build these new facilities and have space for like 200 cars and not a single bike rack. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. Transportation is a huge part of, if you own a home, the car might be the second most expensive thing that you own. If you don't own a home, if you're a renter, um, the car might be the most expensive asset that you own. And so that, you know, number one, takes a lot of your discretionary money away. But number two, um, a lot of people are buying for what they think are. Maybe they're going to buy two, depending on what their family needs. Um, they, they might not be able to get by with, at least in their mind, with a two-seater smart car um, for the trip to the grocery store, like you're mentioning. Um, and so they decide to buy something bigger. And now they, they're lugging this steel around, you know, 200 days a year when they only need that, that bigger car, maybe a couple weekends if they're going to go. The, the expense of the car 
is, is eating people's budgets, but it's also leading people to buy bigger than what they need on an everyday basis for some imagined or real kind of few, few weeks a year of, of bigger car need. Exactly. And so we need more car share programs or uh, we need to have uh, reduce the barriers for people to rent a, um, a minivan or an SUV for their, um, for their camping trips, that kind of thing. We, the other thing Absolutely. is that our city, like the South Bay count, City's Council of Governments had done a transportation study and they had discovered that half of all trips generated in the South Bay are one mile or less. So if they create better bicycle, uh, better walking facilities, people could do those. 70% of all the South Bay trips are three miles or less. And so they could easily be done by bicycle if we had a low speed, uh, uh, low speed, uh, they called a low speed travel network. That's what we're working on. I think San Gabriel Valley is working on that too. And then the, there, the 30%, some, maybe the 30% remaining trips, maybe that could be done in private vehicles or some combination of private vehicles and um, transit. But the important thing is that low-speed low vehicles don't have to be bicycles. They could be cargo bikes. They could be the little golf cart-like things. And so the South Bay Code was thinking about de um, developing golf carts that you could, um, that you could, that, that car share, but for the little small um, golf carts or um, as little share, uh, share vehicles, I mean, where car share, yeah, but for the small, like smart car, car share, so people wouldn't feel like they would need to own so many vehicles. And then have partnerships with car rental companies so that when you needed a bigger car, you could rent one instead of have one for 365 days out of the year. That's part of our strategy for our region. That would have a huge impact on the health and safety of the residents in, the, in that area because as you all know, as the speed of the car increases, the, the risk of, of getting killed or, or very critically injured by getting hit by one of these cars goes up just exponentially. And so once the speed gets over 30 miles per hour or 30 or 40, the risk of surviving or the chance of surviving those, uh, those crashes um, goes down a lot. And, you know, a low speed network where it's you know, cycling, pedestrians, low-speed EVs, golf carts, um, cargo bikes, uh, other um, other low-speed electric vehicles, um, making sure that we have access for people with disabilities, would really transform the heart of a community into some place that was safer, has better air quality, uh, and much more lower carbon, and just more enjoyable. It'd be quieter too. Yeah. Oh, you know, one of the things here in Pittsburgh, uh, we got a, um, a, a bike lane, a semi-protected bike lane downtown in our cultural district. And one of the things that you notice immediately is when you're walking on the sidewalk in this space, because you have this buffer that's not a traffic lane anymore, now it's just a protected bike lane, bike lane it's just more, it's nicer just to walk down the street, even if you're not riding the bike. It's like the, the bike lane itself, especially when you pair it with some green infrastructure, just becomes part of the amenity of the streetscape, even if you're never in it, which is, uh, I, yeah. 
Yeah, I think I, I did some research on um, street noise and I did a blog entry, I think last month about that. If you had a protected bike lane, the, um, that concrete barrier becomes a noise barrier and it significantly reduces the traffic noise on the sidewalk and in the stores if they uh, keep their doors open. So traffic noise goes down with distance. So having that bike lane buffers, that already reduces the sidewalk noise. But it, it turns out that the concrete barrier also um, creates a noise shadow. So that so if you had a buffered bike lane, you'd have less than half the noise on the sidewalk. Then you'd also have fewer particulates and stuff. And so you, it'd be, the air would be healthier to breathe too because a concrete barrier could keep some of the particulates from being kicked up onto the sidewalk or onto the bike lane or into the shops when they open the doors. It would just make our streets so much healthier for everyone. And by having fewer ICE cars, uh, ICE cars are um, combustion, heat is a huge byproduct. So it would keep our streets cooler too. Yeah. I was going to say livability is a subjective idea, I guess, but we do have ratings for livability for places that people go by, you know, all, all kinds of people, people who might not even think of themselves as approving of protected bike lanes and taking out lanes of traffic. But um, I think we that want, we all want to breathe cleaner air and to have cooler streets and to have quieter streets and we want to have safer streets that we're not taking away anything from anyone we're giving them something that wasn't available right now yeah i was going to say is is, uh, is livability sort of inverse has an has an inverse relationship to the amount of cars in a place could is there has there ever been a uh a chart of that i don't know and also it varies by rural areas and urban areas and suburban areas. What I do know is that um, LA is relatively dense for very far out. Like um, density drops off quite quickly in the New York region, but in LA we're dense for um, like 30 miles away from the city center. I think I'm about 20 miles from downtown LA and still my neighborhood is 16 thousand five hundred people per square mile if you just took the density of my census tract so we have the density to support it and so what's livable what's livable at 300 people per square mile is different than what's livable at 10,000 per square mile is what I'm saying so cars may not decrease livability in a rural area um, they may increase livability in a rural area, but in, in a suburban or urban area, cars do decrease livability. If you look at objective factors like safety and air quality and stuff like that. I think it's also important that we focus on livability for everyone. Uh, and that a lot of times we will see improvements in infrastructure um, going to higher than above average income neighborhoods. We need to ensure that as we rebuild our infrastructure to be cleaner, um, we also make sure that we're rebuilding it to be equitable and just and make investments um, in historically marginalized neighborhoods. And sometimes just basic infrastructure is, 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 can change a neighborhood, just safe sidewalks, safe curb cuts, um, uh, 
you know, traffic signals, stop signs, traffic calming. A lot of the things that um, we think is boring really can transform the livability of a neighborhood um, even before you get start to remove some of the vehicles in a low speed zone. Um, we have to kind of start from a place of a lot of neighborhoods uh, in the country have, have suffered from decades of uh, um, purposeful or, or accidental disinvestment. And we need to reinvigorate uh, the country by making sure that everyone has access to mobility uh, and everyone has access to kind of safe and livable streets. And one of the things that makes it really difficult in Los Angeles, um, especially the urban core is a difficulty of density is a dirty word, but density allows us to, it allows us to, allows more people to live in a space where they can access services. So like the um, ARP, the California American Association version of American Association for Retired People, they did a study in California looking at Department of Motor Vehicle data. Turns out women lose their driver's licenses at a younger age than men, and they also live longer. So women live without access to cars for twice as long in their, um, in their, uh, than men at the end of their life. Uh, and then even in um, like our childbearing and working lives, women are so concentrated in low wage jobs where they can't afford cars. So the majority of transit riders are, and people without access to cars tend to be women. So it becomes a feminist issue too. How do we provide mobility for people who cannot ride, drive a car for any reason. And my mother um, is 83 and she no longer drives a car, but she would like very much to ride an e-tricycle because her she saw her neighbor had a stroke and could no longer drive. Well, he got an e-tricycle and she sees him going around. Uh, this is pre-COVID. She saw him like bicycling every day, going out and having coffee or lunch and stuff. And she watches him out window and she wants to have that e-tricycle and I want to provide a safe network for everyone's mom to ride an e-tricycle around and see her friends and stuff like that. So it seems like these are amazing ideas and there's a lot of them and there's probably a few more that we haven't even covered and but it seems like the ideas coming up with the ideas isn't the problem and it almost seems like there's a consensus on these things among a lot of people uh, who are in the position to uh, get them put in if there were maybe leadership or political will and so i guess the question becomes how do you get that how do you get those things i go to neighborhood meetings and it's hard but I try to go to neighborhood meeting, uh, to go to local council meetings and ask, you're redoing this street, where's the bike lane? Where are the bike facilities? Um, and tomorrow I'm speaking to the North Redondo Beach Business Association about um, the lack of bicycle infrastructure in our region. But it's important, people, people are afraid of change a lot of small businesses are barely making it and with COVID they're not making it. So they're coming from a place of fear, 
but we have to also show them the opportunity that not, that they can make more money. I think in in San Francisco and New York, any place where they have put in bike lanes, when they did the comparison of streets that got the bike lane treatment and streets that did not, sales tax receipts went up in the places that had bike lane treatment, right? And that has been found, that's been replicated in cities around the world. So we just have to get the news out that this is uh, bicycle facilities, not only improve safety and livability, make places pleasant, but they're also good business. Yeah, um, I, I agree with everything, especially the part about going to meetings. And a lot of times the voices of folks who are interested in expanding bike infrastructure or bike safety are not represented at those meetings. Um, sometimes they're held in the middle of the day. Sometimes they're held in other times where it's inconvenient to get to. But with a lot of these online now, um, potentially there's an opportunity to get to more of these. And a lot of times elected officials don't have an idea of the support a specific uh, proposal has, except for when they get yelled at uh, by others at a, at a, at at one of these public meetings. So the one way to build, one of the ways to build kind of continuous support and consensus is to be involved in, in, in the democratic process. I think that most people who might be interested in bike lanes and bike infrastructure, um, you know, might not know where to start. There are great advocacy organizations uh, around the country, um, both for clean air and, and for, and for bicycling. But, the, the, the way to start is pick up the phone and call their city council person, you know, write a letter to their state representative. Um, you know, if, if one hasn't done these things, um, then they don't know that this is what you're interested in. And, you know, that type of continuous support across elected, you know, two elected representatives up and down the, the levels of government is, is really the only way that, uh, the elected leaders feel that they can take a risk on, on some change because they're going to hear opposition uh, and the opposition is organized. And the if folks want a bike lane in their community, they have to let their government know that. Being, being active, being an activist, being a political activist has to become more normalized maybe. Right. And like the South Bay um, bicycle coalition is their board is all male and when they go when they go to city council meetings and say where are the bike facilities they uh you know people nod and say oh you're just the guys in spandex we don't have to take care of you you're riding ten thousand dollar carbon fiber bikes you know we don't have to take care of you but when i when i show up and i say that you know i'm a mother league of women voters i'm concerned at how will my daughter get around how will my mother get around um i show I am painting a picture in their mind with my testimony that bicycling is not just for the young, fit, and wealthy. Yeah. I mean, let's just start by sending an email. I mean, let, let, let's, let's get to the first step, right? You know, if you're, if you're listening to this podcast, when is the last time you, or this radio show, the last time you interacted with your elected officials on any issue at all, right? I mean, those are the types of things that uh, need to, a kind of a cultural change that needs to happen in order if uh, to get the types of, of, of infrastructure and change that one would want is to start at the very least by sending an email, sending a letter, make a phone call um, on a 
regular basis and be an active part of, of, of democracy. I'm thinking of this uh, like a daily email that comes from a woman in uh, Northeast LA named Jessica Craven called Chop Wood Carry Water, I think it is, where she talks, she gives out the uh, issues and the numbers. And, you know, here's the issue and here's the number every day for you to call on. And, um, you know, maybe there could be a, a more like bike or transportation oriented version of that. Well, we do, uh, we have League of Women Voters, we have email action alerts. And we, we also have a policy book for um, League US policies and League California policies and reducing VMT vehicle miles traveled and um, changing mode, mode shift away from cars to less carbon intensive modes of transportation. That's our stated policy goals. So when people tell me, oh, this and that bicycle infrastructure is in political trouble, I can fire off a letter. And actually our rate limiting step is a lack of volunteers. And uh, you don't have to be a woman to about 30% of our um, membership is uh, our male or non-binary but um, if you we're an organization that has shown up for a hundred uh, for a hundred years we are in your already in your community and we have shown up and then we have volunteers working on other aspects of social aspects and environmental aspects so if you're interested if you want more bicycle facilities and you're interested in environmental justice issues I highly recommend you contact your local League of Women Voters and become a volunteer so you just basically, you, if there are projects that need political support, you bring it to the attention of your local league and we fire off that letter. And I think that because we're an old or unrespected organization, it matters more than if a, what, if a single issue bicycle advocacy group is writing a letter, which we should also do. Everyone should write letters to support this because without it, we are not going to get ahead of climate change. We're just gonna to toast the whole planet if we don't move out of cars, decarbonize our transportation system as fast as possible because that's half our emissions. So we came up with a lot of things that we could be supporting in this episode, but one is vouchers for e-bikes. Yes. But that didn't pass. I guess we have to do it again. Yes, a lot of things didn't pass because of COVID or they were held up in committee, but keep applying pressure so that it does come up for a vote or to come up on the floor for discussion and then it comes up for a vote. We all saw, we all saw the chaos that happened at midnight um, on Monday. What happened at midnight on Monday? I'm not, yeah, I, I mean, missed it. Oh, um, the California legislature, they held up, a lot of things got quietly killed by being held up in committee or, and they, the, Assembly Chairman Rendon did not allow things to come up for a vote. And then just like 90 seconds before midnight, he let an important housing bill get voted on. But he basically ran out the clock so that because there was amendment, it could not go back into the Senate for ratification. So he, basically there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of tricks that legislators can do to make sure that th things do not come up for a fair vote. And they were all applied to a lot of housing and transportation things this year.
is very disappointing for me. Yeah. It's very difficult to watch. So we'll get more involved and, and maybe Costa and Grace, you can give us some links or resources that we can. LA Times, Liam Dillon did an excellent article. Uh, I mean, he's their housing reporter. I think they have another Sacramento reporter, but the LA Times did a excellent article explaining the chaos that happened at midnight. Now, Governor Newsom at any time could have called an emergency, he could have called an emergency session of the legislature and told the legislature to go back to work and finish up your, your job. However, he didn't, and Governor Brown would exercise that. So actually under Governor Brown, because he told the legislature, no, none of these running out the clock games. If you run out the clock, I'm gonna make you go back to work and finish your work. Um, Newsom has never done that. So Brown basically taught the legislature that he will not uh, tolerate these types of legislative games. And so people got their work done. But Newsom has twice um, had the option to call the legislature back to work to finish up their work, but he has refused both times. Oh. Maybe he's just new, doesn't know? No, no, that's not it. You can watch, read the LA Times article about that. Okay. Costa, where can we follow you? Oh, well, I'd love to, Twitter. Stay, in, I'd love to stay in touch with all of you. Um, I'm on Twitter at Costa Samaras. Uh, I'm on the faculty in the Civil and Environmental Engineering Department at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. You can look me up there, come out and say hi. Um, you know, and what we're trying to do is think about what the future of transportation engineering and planning looks like. And it looks a lot different from the past. And, and engineers and planners have made you know, deliberate uh, and, and, uh, and other mistakes throughout the 20th century and beyond on, on how, we've, uh, how we've designed and laid out cities and how infrastructure has affected racial inequality and environmental justice. And what we're hoping is that the next generation of engineers and planners um, do things differently and, and do things in a way that um, supports um, equality supports uh, sustainability and supports livability. And, and I'm pretty hopeful that that's what we can do. Right, and that we center that, we center that in the whole planning discipline instead of a um, one page checklist that you turn in. Yeah, I mean, you know, we think about in, in transportation engineering and planning, we think about induced demand where you put another lane on a highway and it instantly fills up with, with new cars, right? That it, building another highway won't alleviate congestion in a congested area like the LA basin. Why don't we try induced demand with protected bike lanes? Why don't we see, you know, build a protected bike lane and see who shows up? I bet you would be pretty surprised and get used pretty often. Right. And another thing that the AARP study showed is that we need to build more wheelchair accessible housing at near transit. We need more transit oriented neighborhoods. We probably need higher rise apartments so we can amortize the cost of the elevators that are required so that my mother wouldn't have to wait for a paratransit. My, my mother wouldn't have to wait for like the senior paratransit bus if she could just take an elevator down and then go do her grocery shopping, uh, take an elevator, walk half a block in her with her little cane to get her um, groceries. So 
it's, it's about our land use, transportation and land use. So we need to be able to build more densely and we need to build the type of units without stairs that are universally accessible because we're a rapidly aging society. And also the, the curb cuts that help someone in a wheelchair also helped me when I was pushing a stroller. And as a woman who has sandwich generation um, duties, I'm a very busy person, and so the more that my daughter and my mother can do for herself, the less stressed out I am. So it helps me, it helps everyone to have these facilities. Right, Costa? I think I totally agree. I mean, the, the nexus of all these issues really build a big coalition, the type of political coalition that one needs. Um, climate policy, transportation policy, housing policy, safe streets, clean air, uh, accessibility, walkable neighborhoods. These all might be different, um, you know, priorities to different people, but when you put them all together, they're all related and could build the type of kind of, kind of holistic reinvestment that, that I think our communities need. And it's good business. If people don't have to buy that second or third car, they have thousands of extra dollars to spend. It's good business. And that money is going to go back in the community. Exactly. Well, this is a never ending discussion, I think. One word for that is holistic. Big picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's a, it's a pleasure being on. Happy to talk again sometime. Yeah, let's do it again. Okay, all right. And, and Grace, uh, we know where we can find Costa. He's at Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh and other places. And if somebody right. wants to reach out to you. League of Women Voters, LA County, or through my blog. Um, I have an email for my league work. That's GS, as in Sam, Peng, P-E-N-G, dot L-W-V at gmail.com. Or you could just go to the league website and leave an email there. Well, it's amazing to talk to both of you. I just went fishing on Twitter and, and look what I caught. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for the opportunity. Best wishes okay. to you all. Stay safe, stay healthy. Okay. Thank you very much. Nice chatting with both of you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Have a good day. Shows I care Every turn of the pedal Cleans the air Clean in the green I'm saving the planet Just like my friends Dale, Sean, Toby, and Janet No greenhouse gas A tiny carbon footprint Up your ass I'm on a motherfucking bike Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk If you want to hear more Go to kpfk.org Navigate to Programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the Archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group. 